This is Media Business Matters, the podcast about why recent news in the media businesses matters to people who love media. I'm Amanda Lotz. And I'm Alex Sintner. We're now in the studios of Michigan Radio to talk to Zoe Clark. Zoe Clark is the program director at Michigan Radio, the public radio station in Ann Arbor and across Michigan, a position that she took over from one of our past podcast guests, Tamar Charney. Before that, she produced Morning Edition and Stateside for the station and also hosts the, the show It's Just Politics. She's here to talk about the radio perspective on local media and the challenges she faces at the station. Zoe, welcome to Media Business Matters. Thank you. And there's no challenges in the media. What are you talking about? <laughs> Everything is swell and good. <laughs> are you spreading fake news? <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, that is hashtag fake news right there. And no challenges in particular for public media. No, not at all. We just, you know, we all survive on tote bags. So that's what we get paid in. <laughs> Right, Zoe, how do you and how does Michigan Radio define local? So, I mean, Alex, in your intro, you know, you talk about that here we're based, our main bureau in uh, Ann Arbor, Michigan. We broadcast to much of Michigan. Eighty percent of the population of the state gets gets our our news and our, our stories on air and then online. Local for me sometimes is actually a dirty word because when you're a statewide network or aspiring to be, you want to be very careful about doing too much local. That that covering the city council race in Ann Arbor might not whet the appetite of someone in Grand Rapids. Local for me tends to mean statewide, or it means are there threads that are happening in different communities that we can connect together? So is there a city council issue about development that's happening not only in Jackson, but also in Muskegon, also in Alpena? Local to me, as I said, isn't quite defined. It's sort of, you know, the Supreme Court, I don't quite know it or until I see it kind of thing, but it it sometimes means parochial, or can I get someone to really care about that story if they're in Oscoda, and will they care about that it's happening in Holland, Michigan? Yeah, it seems the the mission of Michigan Radio mm-hmm. to serve at a state level seems a particularly challenging one when we're looking at various media that are able to achieve scale by providing national, even international service, yeah. or on the, the extreme end, that parochial is a fine word, yeah, yeah. Um, in that community yeah. news. And so I think that idea of trying to strike a balance between the national and the city, which is the way so much media within the states yes. is defined, is it's got to be a tough one. You've said that beautifully, and that's the rub. And then also one of the big things that I try to do, um, because of your previous guest, Tamar Charney, my, my mentor, is not just talk about even statewide issues in that same lens, but how is that what's happening in Germany? I mean, look at you know the Rust Belt and, and how parts of Germany were able to reconnect, and then look at that to you know the industrial Midwest. You know, there's so many of the similar stories happening all over. So how do you tell those stories as a function of of a narrative about what it means to be living in 2018 or, or whatever year or whatever place? Well, things aren't happening in a vacuum. Many of us are experiencing the same things. So again, that's why we don't always do, you know, that one story out of Kalamazoo unless we can say, oh, well, this is a bigger symptom of something. And it's it's hard and it's, it's difficult. And sometimes, I mean, I never wish that we got smaller by any means, 
but there's always that question of, gosh, if we had three people to go sit in a one, you know, city council, we'd be able to tell way more stories. But again, how would someone on the other side of the state, how would that be meaningful, you know, content for them? Well, playing off of that a little bit, being a statewide news organization, especially in a state as large as Michigan, means you kind of have to put journalists all over. You have to put journalists in northern Michigan, Mm -hmm. western Michigan, Mm -hmm. here in Ann Arbor, Detroit. What about that is challenging to you? Oh, it's so funny because I should come up with something like amazing about what the challenge is, but the real one's simply is communication, which sounds so funny because, you know, I'm, I'm holding up my phone right now. I mean, it should just be that I can press my finger into the keyboard and boom, but it's not how it is. One of the limitations is we have an amazing bureau here in Ann Arbor, but as you mentioned, we also have reporters in Grand Rapids, in Detroit, Midland. We have an incredible intern right now outside of Traverse City who does some, some northern work, and then we have two folks at our Capitol Bureau in Lansing, and that's actually part of the Michigan Public Radio Network. And it's just this issue of communication. When you're physically close to someone, it's so much easier to go, hey, what do you think about using this word instead of this word? Right? Or, oh, can you just edit this quick sentence? And even though we live in a digital landscape where we can Slack and Trello and Gchat and Messenger and text and all of these things, communication is still one of the really hard things that we haven't figured out yet. Can you talk a little bit about the what is the range of journalism that is pursued by yeah. by uh, Michigan Radio? I yeah. know sort of the the daily updates, the bits that are embedded within the national newscast yeah. in a yeah. stateside as a show. What yeah. else? I sort of have it in kind of different buckets, right? So there's the bucket that is the newsroom, and that's run by our news director, Vincent Duffy, um, with our senior editor extraordinaire, Sarah Hewlett. That is everything that you basically hear on air throughout the day. And that sort of goes into two different parts, which is what we call spot news, right? Those are the 35 to 59 second, and it better not be longer than a minute if I'm listening, um, (laughs) spot news. You usually hear three to four stories at the top and bottom of, of drive time hours. Um, And those are from all over the state, right? So you might hear Rick Pluta out of Lansing, Shana Roth out of Lansing. You might hear Steve Carmody from Flint, Sarah Swick out of Detroit. But within that newsroom, also we produce features or what we call long form or sometimes enterprise. And sometimes those are three minutes. Sometimes they're up to eight minutes. Then I also think of just sort of other longer form, which are individual pieces that are series, right? So the Environment Report would be one hosted by Rebecca Williams. That's a four-minute piece. Those are sort of these standalone segments that are under so-called news. Then there's Stateside, which is our daily news magazine. And that's somewhere between four and seven, sometimes eight, if it's a crazy news day, interviews and features. Sometimes the newsroom helps supply that content. So it might be a feature from Sarah Swick on an election out of Detroit that's airing. Or it might be what we call a two-way, which would be a live interview from someone from the newsroom. So Tracy Samilton talking about something that developed with GM and auto news. Or it may be a two-way, which would just be an interview that Lester Graham or Cindy does with something about a news story today, you know, about, let's say, redistricting reform and maybe talking to one of the, the folks who's going around and, and was looking for signatures and that kind of thing. And then and the, the really big issue, and I don't want issue to have negative or positive connotation right now, but I'm using the word issue is the digital sphere. Because for so long, what happened was we took these spots and these features and these interviews and slapped them up on the website. 
and we weren't quite sure, well, what were they? Was that website just an archive of all the content that lived on terrestrial mm-hmm. first? Or is that now needing to be something different? And so this sort of third bucket that we're now spending a lot of time on is how can we continue with our values and our mission of public radio and public media in this new digital sphere when we've always talked about listeners coming first? Mm -hmm. Well, okay, so now is it members, uh, subscribers, website users, Mm -hmm. people who are interacting with us on Facebook? I mean, we now have a whole group of folks that know us through a Facebook persona rather than listening to 91.7 on terrestrial. And so that's been a challenge. And so those are sort of these buckets that I'm always looking at. And then how, more importantly, do those silos all interact with each other? Because they're all kind of circling around each other's orbit and coming in and out of each other's lives hundreds of times each day. And being based in Ann Arbor, where we've talked often about yeah. the effective loss of our local newspaper. Amen. And in that environment, you know, I regularly turn to Michigan Radio for that kind of mm-hmm. coverage. And the idea of the website as you know, this newspaper surrogate. Yeah. Is, and it's not just in a, in a place like Ann Arbor. Yeah. I think we've been seeing the New York Times explore video mm-hmm. in a way. You know, and podcasts. Absolutely, right. <laughs> and so, interact, digital interactive content yeah, as well. Yeah. And so we often talk about the consequences of digital being related just to distribution yeah. of existing media. But yeah. there is also that idea of convergence and the way in which which the way we had separate silos of media, you're a newspaper, you can't mm-hmm. make a podcast, mm-hmm. you're a radio station, you can't do mm-hmm. any, you can't write your words down mm-hmm. and circulate them. Mm-hmm. Um, do you see that as, as an opportunity to expand beyond the oral realm yes. for a radio station? So absolutely, because for me, the mission is public media values and how do we determine what stories we believe are most important. And I'm going to say listeners here, but I guess really what I should say is residents of Michigan, Michiganders. But that's much easier said than done. That, of course, in a perfect world, I want to be on every platform possible. I mean, in my perfect world, there was a point where I had this idea when we were going through the Flint water crisis that, okay, there were people that weren't getting our reports over the air through the radio. There were people that weren't listening to 91.1 in Flint. Maybe we needed to print out stories on paper and give them away in the city of Flint. Like, oh, right, it's this like idea called a newspaper. <laughs> like, the, it's all new again, right? And so this fundamental idea about, like... What service is going to come first? And in a perfect world, yes, you know, I would want Mary Morgan on my team and do nothing but like Ann Arbor stuff for michiganradio.org. And maybe all of that doesn't make it on the air, but that there's a source online for it. It's incredible in this way because we can fit so much more content on the website. You know, on radio, we have really rigid times. You have three minutes, 10 (laughs) seconds at the top of the hour to deliver the entire state news. What? (laughs) But at the same point, it's limiting. So it allows us to go, well, this is all we can cover. Mm -hmm. Whereas the website is like, you can do anything. And that's a challenge because we want to do everything and we simply can on a public radio budget. I think for A-types or folks like me who are like constantly wanting to be like, what more can we do for our listeners? What else can we add? The website is scary because there doesn't feel like there's ever an end, you know, whereas radio, it's like, okay, we did 51 minutes of live radio today. Let's go to, let's look on what's happening tomorrow's show. 
it's a bookend, mm-hmm. a, a beginning and an end, and you don't get that in digital at all. Well, yeah, I mean, that's really what's kind of exciting about digital and what kind of we've been hearing, one of the things that we've been hearing and talking about throughout mm-hmm. the entire run of our podcast is mm-hmm. kind of the limitless nature of the space. I mean, essentially all your limits are server space, and that, mm-hmm. in theory, is unlimited right Which now, Which also, though, has created chaos in, in our environment, how we treat each other, the kind of dialogue, and I'm putting that in quotes, that we're having online with each other. How do you figure out how to use that space for good, how to know when to stop or when to put parameters on it? Because there really aren't parameters, right? And And I think it's created part of the environment in which we find ourselves right now that we can say anything and do anything online. Let's get into more specifics here. So you've talked a lot about like things you'd want to do, but what specific experiments is Michigan Radio looking at in the digital space as kind of a way to enhance or expand upon what's on the radio or do yeah. something completely different? Yeah, so there's two things that... One is one of these really cool things that um, Mark Brush, our um, former digital director just fell in love with, and this is called the Harkin tool. And this is this idea where you actually get listeners or folks who listen or, you know, users online to submit their questions. It's sort of crowdsourced journalism and their questions about Michigan for us. Um, But other cities have done this too. And we, ours is called MI Curious. So the letter M, the letter I Curious. And so folks for a certain period of time put in their questions, then three are chosen. And then listeners or, you know, website users get to vote on which question they want answered. Why is eight mile called eight miles? Is it eight miles from what? For like (laughs) two years, I want to say I would have to go back. I don't want to, but I feel like for two years, it was like our most click on story every month, even though it was like two years old. But it was like those, these curious questions that like, that's SEO for you. Right. And we don't have a peg to do that story. We don't have time to like, be like, I just wonder But it was this amazing excuse to answer questions that we did all want to know because it was listener-generated. And so that's this really cool dynamic that more and more public radio stations are trying to use, again, this Harkin tool because it's like, hey, look at what we're trying. And it's what stories do you, listener, want us to tell? What can we help inform your neighborhood or community about? Because we certainly don't know everything that folks want to hear about. The second is Michigan Radio is really excited that we will be putting out our first real podcast for listeners. That I'm thrilled about. That has been something that that Michigan Radio has constantly talked about. But again, going back to that, we've got so much in terms of digital demands on the website, radio, you know, meaning terrestrial demands, that I'm really excited that we'll be doing that for the first time this year and putting a lot of love and blood and sweat and tears into it. But it's it's just so worth it because it's a story that needs to absolutely be told. Is it a limited run or is this going to be something that's ongoing? So that's a great question. The initial one is a limited run with the idea that it's set up in a way that we could continue to tell other stories in this format and under the name and and, and logo. But as of right now, it's a limited run. It's a little run. bit like cereal mm-hmm. is what you're going mm-hmm. for. I mean, who wouldn't go with for cereal? You yeah, know? Right? Let's, so I want a cereal. That's it. I'm doing another cereal. It's there only the biggest podcast I, say, I like mean, ever. fine. <laughs> if it's going to be another cereal, fine. It'll just be another cereal. You know, great. It'd be way worse things. <laughs> Most of our other conversations about local media have yeah. been sort of framed, at least in terms of, of print news mm-hmm. and, and newspapers. Mm-hmm. And I wonder what you think might be the advantages or the challenges that a radio station and mm-hmm. a public radio mm-hmm. station at that might have relative to 
newspapers mm-hmm. that also, for the most part, have a commercial history. So I think you hit right on it, right, which is the commercial history, that our funding model is just really, really different than papers. That at this point, about 60%, um, give or take, I, I'd want to look at the books to give you a exact number, but usually it's between 60 and 64% of our annual budget comes from listeners. You hear us say it, 888-258-9866, and then I'm at the grocery store, and it's, why do you have to do fun driving? It's like, because that's 60% of the pie. And believe me, if someone else had figured out a different way to do it, we would be doing it. Like, I want you guys, can you guys do that next podcast with the next great thinker? Because like, I want a hackathon. We would all put up some mugs or free something to give away that like, if we could figure that out. But it's incredible because it means that the folks who use us and believe in us are chipping in. And I think there's this added level of like, Everything we do, it's about, like, are we doing it for that person who might be on a fixed income and, like, gives us $5 a month? Like, is this an integrity? Are we doing this for that person? Because every single listener that gives, I want to be able to say your dollars went to this. Now, I'm not saying that that's not how, you know, newspapers operate. I've never worked in a newspaper. But I can tell you that the story always comes first. The the person whose story we want to tell, you know, that the reporter needs to FOIA this, those things are coming first instead of this other thing, which is, can we get the most clicks on this story? I've never said yes or no to a story because of the concern that, like, it was a waste of money or because we weren't going to get enough clicks. It's about the importance mm-hmm. of the content. And I don't know how much of that is in other conversations at, at revenue <laughs> uh, shops, but I can tell you, I don't. I, I think it is part of the conversation, and it's one that that our reporters don't have to have, and that's a really incredible thing. And it's because sixty percent of our budget comes from folks who believe in the mission that you know the audience comes first, and telling listeners stories is what's most important, and also just is meaningful right? That there's meaning behind those stories. It's not just if it bleeds, it leads because, you know, that's what gets the most clicks. And it's been interesting that across all the conversations, the repeated theme is it's the business model that's in crisis. And these are all, for the most part, coming from commercial origins. But that it is actually this idea of the funding model of public radio now migrating oh, into the, I the was tape to the print I was literally just talking to someone about that two days ago about, I mean, look at every, you know, even the Atlantic, like all of these different media organizations that are like chipping $5 to keep up with this journalism. I mean, some of it's like word for word <laughs> how we pitch um, on air during our fun drives. And I'm like, oh my goodness, whoa, getting Ira Glass to do your, you know, <laughs> New York Times pitches or whatever. I mean, it's, it's, Fascinating. This goes back to the, like, what's old is new again, the idea of, like, me going to Flint and, like, okay, like, here's these printed pieces of paper with news on it, you know? It's like, yeah, that's not anything new. And But, no, it's been absolutely fascinating to go to websites now that are, were free. You know, this is, like, you know, websites that never had a paywall, but it's like, but maybe you want to give. And it's just like, wait, what? That's our message. <laughs> Could you give us the perspective of where... Michigan radio fits relative to other public radio stations and situations around the country? You know, what advantages do you have being the size that you are? Yeah. What challenges that you face? Yeah. As I said, you know, I, I started here at Michigan Radio as a little baby intern 12 years ago. Now I'm the program director, so I oversee all the hosts and the newsroom and stateside and things like that. So I've 
you know, I've basically done every single job here at Michigan Radio that's in, that's anything to do with the journalism or on air. I don't have experience at other stations. Now, I can tell you, I talk to a lot of other PDs and I talk to a lot of other producers and hosts. So I, I want to be careful about comparing myself to too many other stations having not walked in their shoes. But having gone to conference after conference and webinar and conference call and private Facebook groups and, you know, all these kind of texts and things like that, I mean, there are certain things that we're all trying to figure out as a community, which is fundamentals of just journalism. In the environment in 2018 in which journalists find ourselves, I mean, we were joking at the very top of this about fake news, and it's funny, and it's also really not funny. It's scary, honestly. Aside from that sort of environment of where we find ourselves, there's issues about our future and growing audience. And the fact is that public radio listeners on terrestrial are growing older. And so the biggest issue, I think, bar none, and maybe this is a little bit of a vanilla answer, but I, I think it's it's what everyone is struggling with is younger listeners on terrestrial. It's only recently that we're seeing even the tiniest, tiniest uptick of people with radios, but it's tiny. But, like, if you look at how many people have radios in their homes as compared to 10, 20, I mean, it's just, it's drastic. Um, We're seeing an uptick now with Alexa and things like that. But even now, there are some cars that are being built not with radios, but instead just the ability to hook into Bluetooth. So I think that's like the most glaring thing that you would hear from everyone, which is younger listeners, how do you get them engaged, particularly as you see the rise of podcasts and on-demand listening, that folks are going, well, why do I have to sit in my chair and listen from noon to one when that timing doesn't work to Terry Gross? Appointment listening is no longer, and, and Amanda, you'd be able to tell me a lot more about, but you know, is it the Netflixization where it's like, no, I want to listen to six This American Life episodes in a row on, on my you know, road trip with my you know, best friend, and that's how we're going to spend the time. So those, I think, are the, that's the number one biggest challenge that we all share. And then the other challenges are, again, making sure that we're staying relevant and doing important content and making sure that we get out of our bubbles. And I don't mean that even by like political bubbles or anything like that, but experiencing things normally. Sometimes we all as journalists walk around with our journalistic cap on. And sometimes I think it's important for people to take vacations (laughs) and go somewhere and just talk to people at restaurants, not as journalists, but to just go like, okay, what are the stories we're missing? To get out of that like daily grind of, is this a story? Is this coming out of Lansing? What's happening out of DC? I mean, I think that was the biggest critique, right, of not just NPR. I mean, everybody, let's, I think it's pretty fair to say in the 2016 election, right? Like how did journalists call that so wrong? I'm of course talking about the presidential election and making sure that we're getting out there and talking to people instead of staying in some kind of bubble about what we think we know about voters or Americans or workers or nurses or teachers or whoever we're, we're talking about. So I see the somewhat precarious position the local station is in mm-hmm. is sort of the podcastization, right? Yeah. In many ways, it's it's sort of like a DVR mm-hmm. for your radio. Mm-hmm. Like it, it does allow you to time yeah. shift. And so, I, you know, I think that's just about convenience. Yeah. And in the realm of television, yeah. um, that's been great you yeah. know, to be able to to watch more on your schedule. I love it. But the problem, <laughs> right? But the problem for the local radio station yeah. is that you are largely the conduit historically mm-hmm. between that national content or mm-hmm. content produced somewhere else. Yeah. And the degree to which an NPR listener who switches to watch, to listening to um, 
fresh air yeah. as a podcast yeah. and, and and might then think, well, I don't really listen to NPR right. or Michigan Radio that much right. anymore. And so yeah. that's, I guess, where the economic piece or the concern is if, if people don't see right. the local station providing value. Exactly, because there's still the need. And I would say people, me included, listeners would go crazy if suddenly we said, okay, we're not going to do breaking news anymore. We're not going to do these, li- I mean, they're not little, but we're not going to do these these shorter stories anymore that you hear at the top of the hour. We're not going to update you about John Engler's testimony, you know, in front of, I mean, we had that story, you know, we were doing that story as he was testifying. I think it was the 3 p.m. or 4 p.m. top of the hour newscast, you know, with audio of him, you know, that he had just said 20 minutes. I mean, like, we still need and want to do that because there is still breaking news that people need to know is happening. I mean, some of our mission in public media is like also keeping people safe. We still do tornado warnings. I mean, that is part of our mission. It's like, okay, well, great. We could go like all on demand audio or all, you know, podcast and create amazing stories that way. And people could spend months on, you know, doing a serial and have it just be incredible. But again, with the economics, we don't have that kind of budget. And so it's it's constantly figuring out how do we provide the hourly, you know, newscasts and the daily news roundups and stateside that it does live on terrestrial, but also with the ability to say, but hey, you've got six hours to be in your car, listen to six hours of Sam Sanders in a row. And and we want to be able to do both and but also do both well. What advantages do larger markets like a New York or a Chicago have that make you jealous? Money. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, like I, I'm being a little foot, but I'm I'm really also completely serious. I mean, they just have here's the funny thing. They have more money, they have more staff, but I can tell you that I talk to those producers and it's always if only we had <laughs> one more. more producer. You know, and I feel that way in stateside. If only we had one more producer. So like I don't believe that they don't believe that they need it, but it's all about scale. Mm-hmm. If someone wrote me a check for, you know, a certain amount, I mean, I there's 17 projects that I would jump in and do beginning yesterday if I had the ability to. And and that again comes back to the fun drive that sometimes people are like, "Oh, you know, you guys talk such a so much about fun drive and what you do." And I'm like, "But it's true. Like maybe, you know, I don't know how much you talk about the the financials and stuff, but Guess, okay, I'm turning the tables on you guys now. (laughs) Guess how many listeners. So we have 500,000 listeners about a week. Mm -hmm. Like that's pretty much where our books show us. Guess what percentage give to Michigan Radio? 30? 10. 6%. So I love that you said 30. <laughs> I, I, I'm an optimist. No, what can but, I say? But, so what I will often say is like, okay, so 6%. And these are all the things we're able to do. Imagine if we could boost that to 10. Oh, my God. Imagine 30%. <laughs> I could expose salt. Like, I could have extra investigative drill. Like, and I get excited, but also it's sort of sad. Like, we, you know, Michigan Radio helped to break the Flint water crisis. And people are like, so what's next? What do you want to do next? And it's like, oh, we want to. FOIA everything. We want to turn over every. We want to protect people and tell the stories about you know truth to power. But like, it takes resources. And so, what do I dream of? I dream of ten percent. I dream of twelve percent <laughs> uh, because I have plans and ideas that I would love to be able to do. Where do you see room for growth or other 
revenue sources yeah. for Michigan Radio, or is it it's just, just going to be a pledge drive? I don't know if it will always be on-air pledge drives. I mean, I was joking about you know having someone have a hackathon and figure mm-hmm. out how to do it. I mean, there's a lot of conversations about do you you know do you have people give and then they get a special code that they can listen to a s- uninterrupted stream, and you could do that like on a laptop, um, but then we're still paying for the uninterrupted stream. You certainly can't do that in a rate you know in your car where the fact is most people are still mm-hmm. listening. So there's a lot of grand plans. One of the things that I would love to see is more folks stepping up who are able. I, you know, people give to museums all the time. They give to their local symphony orchestra. And I love that. I don't want anyone to stop doing that. But but one of my hopes would be to boost that 6%. And believe me, there are people that cannot give that listen. And that my goodness, I love that we can provide that community service without someone having to pay mm-hmm. to get the news that matters to them. But for folks who can, I think my hope is to really realize like that listeners are the ones that make this happen. Mm-hmm. And if you want more, whether it be digital or more investigative news or even transcripts, people will say, well, why can't I get a transcript of the interview? It's like, oh, we would love to be able to offer transcripts of every interview, but but we have to do a cost-benefit analysis of does it make sense to pay someone do, to do that, or does it make sense for someone to go through these FOIA'd records of blankety-blank? And so I think, you know, my biggest thing is where can we create revenue that, that doesn't change our mission, right, that doesn't get to say, well, here's a million dollars, but you have to do blank, um, because, of course, we would, you know, never agree to, you know, coverage dependent on on money. But I think there is a lot to look in the future, especially about like social media groups. Um, in the Dark is a podcast out of Minnesota Public Radio, and they have a new Facebook group that they've actually have donations, like 50 bucks, I think it is. That's again, it's like you get some extra special content. But it's kind of also that, hey, if you really like this, mm-hmm. Throw some money in it. And I really see that as continuing to be the future, but in more things like text to give, things like that, rather than interrupted programming with the 888-258-9866. You see how I keep throwing that number? Yeah. yeah. Or yeah. michiganradio.org. You know, click on the support link. Just say. Um, subtle. Yeah, it's very subtle. subtle. I'm, I'm all right about subtle date. Yeah. 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 No, pot, a lot of podcasters are using Patreon as a platform mm-hmm. um, in order to be like, you know, give us a few bucks a month and mm-hmm. we'll... Put your name on this list, or we but might you even have you hear NPR on the show. podcasters mm-hmm. even doing that. Yeah. you know, I mean, that's what's fascinating, and and there's concern even about that. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, so if listeners start giving directly to shows, to the folks that distribute those shows, what does that mean right. for us? Because so, as the program director, one of the things that I do is like I but like I write those checks, and every year we're writing almost a million and a half dollars for shows, and I think. That's a confusion mm-hmm. among listeners, too, yeah. is, like, I think they think we just press some, like, button and boom from the satellite comes, like, morning edition. No, I think it's, like... You have to license it from NPR, So right? we, if I'm remembering the math correctly, I think we spend about $460 an hour of morning edition. And that's, you know, mm-hmm. four hours of morning edition, Monday through Friday, every day of the week. That costs money. So that's what people are giving to us, mm-hmm. not just for the local news, but so that right. we can pay the bills to American public media and things like that. And so when there's this direct ask from shows to, hey, if you like this show, throw in five bucks. I mean, I certainly don't mind that, but my hope is it doesn't mean that member stations suddenly are getting less of that because now more than ever, local news is struggling, you know. yeah. We brought up earlier, I like to be optimistic, Mm. but 
especially when we were talking about this in the intro to this series, we were talking about this story as a bleak and kind of sad picture of what local media could be. It just never seems to be good news. Yeah, I mean, even the week we're recording this, the New York Daily News laid off half their staff. My question for you is, is there hope in the bleakness of the story of local media? What gives you hope? Okay, I don't have some magic grand plan in my head that I'm going to roll out like on January 1, 2019, where it's like, just wait, I've got it all fixed. (laughs) But what I know and what I really truly believe is there are people in this world, people in Ann Arbor, people in this country, people in this state who believe in what journalists do, who are willing to fund it to an extent, and that there will always be journalists. The people with whom I've worked for the past 12 years are the most committed, incredible, I mean, work 18-hour days with a smile, not because they believe in me. Like, you can't turn a journalist off. If you are, like, I really believe that. Like, if you are a true journalist, there's no turning that that switch off. And so I believe between that group of people that intrinsically need to find out about things and then verbalize or print or however they want to, through ever what medium they want to tell those stories, and then there's going to be a group of people that support them. I, I truly believe that that will continue. What what form, what medium, I don't have the answers for that. But I am absolutely an optimist that this give and take of information, providing information, and then people making sure that those people can continue to pr- provide it will will remain. All right, great answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, Zoe Clark, thank yeah. you very much for taking the time to talk to us today. Thank you for having me. It's been a total pleasure. And that's it for this episode of Media Business Matters. If you want to learn more about Media Business Matters, you can go to amandalots.com and click on the podcast link at the top of the page. If you want new episodes delivered to your feed as soon as they're available, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe on Apple Podcasts and on Google Podcasts. You can find Amanda Lots on Twitter at DrTVLots. That's D-R-T-V-L-O-T-Z. You can find our guest today, Zoe Clark, at Zoe Molina Clark. That's Z-O-E-M-E-L-I-N-A, Clark. And you can find me at Alex Intner. That's Alex, I-N-T-N-E-R. Thank you all so much for listening. We'll be back soon with the last episode of our local media series.